Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to the Hall of the Universe of the American Your Museum of Natural History, right here in New York City. I'm your host of tonight's Star Talk. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And tonight, we're featuring my interview with actress Mayim Bialik. She, she plays a neuroscientist on the hit TV show, The Big Bang Theory. And she not only plays a neuroscientist, she is a neuroscientist. She got a PhD in the subject. So that will be the basis of our conversation on the portrayal of science on TV. So let's do this. And I never do this alone. I can't do this alone. I gotta bring in help. My co-host comedian tonight is Chris Hardwick. Hello. The one, the only. Yes, sir. And you, you don't only go by Chris Hardwick, you go by The Nerdist. Nerdist, yeah, that was the, comp the, the website that I started and the podcast and everything. Well, thanks, you, you, you turned being a nerd into a community. You were early out of the box doing this. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I don't know if I, I think a lot of proto-nerds would disagree with that. I, I, <laughs> I did. <laughs> That's a thing, a proto-nerd. The proto-nerds. Proto <laughs> not, so, not yet fully formed, proto-planet. No, I mean, like, the early, the early days, like, the old school nerds. I mean, it just, when I was growing up in the 80s, you know. Uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Revenge of the Nerds, exactly. I was in chess club and math club and computer classes, and, and I got my first computer in 1981. And so it was not a cool thing to do at the time. We were socially ostracized. Yeah. And so now it's kind of cool, and science is for everyone, and nerd stuff is for everyone. And so I just kind of helped try to be as inclusive as possible. And to create that community. Yeah. He's feeling it. Yeah, He's I am. feeling the love. It, yeah. <laughs> and and my, uh, my, my special guest this evening, Summer Ash. Summer. Hello. Uh, you, you come to us up from Columbia University. Where, yeah, not far away. Not far away. A, a subway ride. We can easily afford that. And you, <laughs> uh, you run the outreach program or the astronomy department there. By the way, that's I the do. department where I got my PhD. But Summer, we, we, we have you on the show. Because you are also a big advocate of STEM. I am. Science, technology, engineering, and math. And particularly women in STEM. Women in STEM as well. All right. You have a superhero's name. You know that, right? Summer Ash is like... I had not that's like a that. That's like a comic book. You know what's going to happen? You're going to have some awesome lab accident and get superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to go fight crime. And now I'm going to say I knew you when. I, I already have a bionic heart, actually. Are you serious? Yeah. How did that happen? 
I had heart surgery three and a half years ago. That's amazing. Wait, wait, but you have a glowing thing in the middle of your. You have an arc Not reactor yet, like Tony have, Stark. Almost. That's awesome. Almost. I hope you're okay. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> now that we're making jokes about this. I hope you're all right. I'm good. All right. So the two of you together will help me do this, right? Talk about the role of science on television. We've got my interview with Mayim Bialik. Uh, the Big Bang Theory. It's one of the most successful shows on television. Began in 2007, and it's. Uh, I don't know if I can explain it before I show you a clip of who the characters are on this show. Let's check it out. Aren't you slicing that man's brain a little too thin? <laughs> it's too thin. If I were making a foot-long brain sandwich at Quiznos <laughs> for examination under a two-photon microscope. It's fine. <laughs> so what we have there is a set of sort of overachieving scientists, and they were the, it started out with guys in this role, and then they slowly introduced women over the years. The show is in its eighth or ninth season, going strong. And one of the characters we just saw introduced was Mayim Bialik, and I wanted to ask her about her early experience with science. Why I know already she became a scientist. But she's an actress, so as is often the case on Star Talk, I try to get to the bottom of how people became who they are and to see what role science may have played in it. Let's check it out. It wasn't until I was later in 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 high school that I had my first biology tutor, who sort of gave me the confidence that I could be a scientist. I was so not it's a tutor because good. you're acting. Correct. Right, so, so I was on I was on the show Blossom from the no, time I was. No, you were Blossom. I was Blossom. On right. the show Blossom. Right. Well, yeah. You were Blossom. Um, yes. Make that clear. Correct. But <laughs> once I met this this woman who was my biology tutor, that was sort of my my real kind of coming out party of believing that I could be a scientist. I didn't even have the skill set because I had. I had been paying attention all the previous years in math and science, but really just doing what I needed to to get by. I didn't really understand the beauty of science and and math and that whole world until I was later into high school. And then obviously pursuing it in college was you know it, it was it was a party. So this saddens me. You know why? Not not your story, but the fact. I've heard that before. No, no, no that if the that single person. Right made a life difference to you. Right. How many people are missing that single person who can make um, a life distance? I mean, I, I can, I, I'm sure we could all run the stats on it. Many girls right, is, right. The, is the first answer. The, that's the first answer. And that's because, I mean, that's because of, you know, a historical difference in the representation of women in these fields and, and a, a, probably a cultural bias on the part of, of, of teachers and, and instructors. Um, and, and even administration. You How know, much like intellectual that. capital lay untapped uh, in this world? Do you want a number? <laughs> yeah, come on, come on. I want the like number, a... come on. <laughs> I want numbers. Numbers, give me numbers. Don't just say it. I don't have them. <laughs> I, I think it's a... Wait, 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 this is Star Talk. We don't leave you numberless when we can put numbers in the situation. You have the numbers? I, I have the power. I shouldn't have doubted no, you no, for a second. <laughs> no, I don't have the power to give you the numbers. I have the power to get someone to give you the numbers. Oh, okay. That's how that works. Right. <laughs> I have the power to listen to those numbers. <laughs> so, Mona, can I get some numbers, please? All right. <laughs> Hi, man. Listen, 
Everyone, this is Mona Chalabi. She's a data journalist. Did you even know that thing existed? Mona, you got some numbers for us to bring some of this into focus. I do. I wanted to try and answer Mayim's question as directly as possible. So I wanted to find out how many female scientists America is missing. And the number that I came to is 80,000. Missing meaning they might have been scientists, but some force prevented that from happening. Exactly. Okay, exactly. Okay, okay. And I just took biologists, chemists, and a category called other natural scientists. And I worked out how many women you would need to just get to a 50-50 gender split. And that's when I got 80,000. So when you say 80,000, it's just 80,000 in those professions. Exactly. You're, the, you're leaving out uh, uh, engineering and physics and... Mathematics. Mathematics yeah. and all the rest of this. Yeah. Okay, but presumably, uh, equal access, equal opportunity doesn't require equal outcome. So that, that missing number presumes that if everything were even, then everything would be even. Right, but we know that we don't have equal access, right? Mayim touched on it in the clip and it's really, really relevant. So I also looked at some of the cultural barriers that stop women from going into the sciences. Now we know that statistically, women are less likely to be hired by science faculty, they're less likely to be asked to perform mathematical tasks, and they're less likely to have their academic papers deemed of high quality. And I know that last bit because of research by a female scientist called Emma Pearson. Now, what Emma did was she looked at 938,301 academic scientific papers. And she found that the average male scientist publishes 45% more papers than the average female scientist. So you're saying we're, we're messed up. That's what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. That, that's how to be messed up in numbers. Numbers are showing how messed up you are. That's right. Well, Mona, thank you. Thanks, Neil. Well, we summoned you from the dark, okay? Now we're back to the dark. Mona Chalabi, thank you. Sort of thank you for the bad news. Yeah, 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 I mean, thank you, yeah, yeah. Next time, bring some good news, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, Summer, is this consistent with your life experience? And what yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the solutions? Is it, is, it, is it creating mentoring programs, or is it taking active roles in your... Well, I can tell you this, Chris, that, that if we are all products in some way, even if only subliminally, of pop culture, mm -hmm. then it seems to me more visible people who have succeeded would matter yep. to culture and to pop culture. So in television, we went for decades with, with no women portraying scientists, mm -hmm. just as an example. Because can you be one if you don't see one? Right. You know, in fact, I remember growing up, I, it was clear that no one was thinking of me to be an Apollo astronaut. You know, they just look really different from how right. I looked, I, right. what I remember. So, so, so I, I think that matters. I also think it could be interesting that, you know, because before we're relying on the media, we're, you're relying on big companies, big media companies run by older men a lot of the time who are just going, ah, put that on there. But now with social media, with YouTube, with, with Snapchat, with Facebook, I feel like is, is some of the onus on people who are already scientists to start becoming those role models in social media themselves rather than relying on big media to catch to, up? To choose what role model that anyone would have. Yeah. Well, that's an interest. So the real people are becoming the real role models. The real people are becoming the real role models, and that, that's exactly what built, built YouTube culture. So, so Summer, did you, can you point to individual people who, who role served as your role model going up, as did Oh, Mayim. that's interesting. Um, well, so actually, I think I had many, but um, I was kind of born excited about science. And within a month of each other, the movies Top Gun and Space Camp came out. And I pretty much saw both of them, and I was like, yes to all. Like, yes, yes. Oh. 
Um, and if you think about it, in those movies, obviously Top Gun is male-dominated, but Kelly McGillis has a PhD in astrophysics. Yes, because every astrophysicist is an, an expert on an F-14 plane. I know, plane. which is a little bit weird. <laughs> That's a stretch. But who cares? We didn't That's... question. It was the 80s. <laughs> they played volleyball. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first time I heard of that, so, yeah. like, that helped. Um, and then for Top Gun, you have, um, I'm not going to remember the actress's name, but... Um, the lead woman, who's already a jet pilot and an astronaut candidate. You um, mean in the, the other, you mean in the space, space camp. camp, yeah. yeah. Space camp, yeah. Yeah, and then you have Lee Thompson and Kelly Preston, and they're both playing women that are interested in science, and the three of them, like, are, are the main part of the movie. It's fantastic. So, yeah, here's a question, is what can ordinary people do? So, as a guy who's not a scientist, what can I do to help? Like, do you have suggestions for how just ordinary people who are not scientists or educators can help? Uh, you know, help improve women help, in STEM. Help improve women in STEM. Help improve people getting involved. Um, well, I think the one big thing is that call out barriers when you see them. So if you see people that are expressing or sort of sexism or doubts about women's capability or people of color's capability to do these things, so it's an extra pair of eyes out there. Yeah. To to, to speak to, up to monitor Don't, the perimeter. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Um, teach your bros. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So what I continue to do with Mayim is uh, explore how is it she became an actress? Because I know she got a PhD in, 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 in yeah. neuroscience, but she actually started as an actress and was well-known at age 14. Yeah, most child stars don't even complete a traditional education program, <laughs> right. much less go on to get a PhD. Right, right. So I said, why? Well, he, you could have just kept going. And... But she didn't. She stepped out and then stepped back in. I had to get to the bottom of that. Let's check it out. I come from an immigrant background. My grandparents were immigrants to this country, and college was emphasized over everything else, okay. no matter what. So it was, you know, it was, I mean, my, on my mom's side, my, my grandmother, I don't think she finished middle school. My grandfather didn't finish middle school. So, you know, they, they came to America and they worked in sweatshops. And so I was raised with like a go to college mentality, even if you think you're, you're a big shot because you were on TV. So you had the expectations of generations of your ancestors Correct. requiring that you go to college. Well, because the, the American dream is staring you right in the face. You know, they left war for this. So I guess the notion of being a child actor didn't feel like I was satisfying, honestly, the historical and cultural dream of thousands of years of exile. <laughs> um, whereas going to college and, you know, per pursuing something that was very challenging academically, that felt, um, that felt like it was going to be more satisfying as a human being, you know, than being a famous person. Well, so... I looked up the title of her PhD dissertation. What was it? The hypothalamic regulation in relation to maladaptive, obsessive-compulsive, affiliative, and satiety behaviors in Prayton-Willie syndrome. I wrote a very similar paper. <laughs> job on Talking Dead. Um, a lot of syndromes going on in Talking Dead. Yes, Surely one of them was One that. of them, yeah. We're just trying to solve the zombie crisis. So this is a genetic disorder. It, it, it turns out that there's a, a, a chromosomal deletion in in the person where you can literally eat yourself to death. There's nothing to regulate your appetite. You just keep eating until you die and there's no, there's no cure. And so she studied this. So, so neurologically, you can ask, can you overcome that? Can you fix it? Can you repair it genetically later on? This is, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an unresolved 
frontier. And so she, she, she was in it. That, that's, now, she went to UCLA. I went to UCLA. Too. And you went to UCLA. Yeah. yeah. Now, I was on a different side of campus than she was. <laughs> In the philosophy quad. But so I, I hear rumored that you you roomed with Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton, yeah, we've been friends since college. Will oh, and I have been friends since college. Cool. Yeah. And, and he was a, the child actor in. He was in Stand by Me. In he Stand was, by uh, Me. Ensign oh, Crusher. He always saved the Enterprise whenever there was imminent danger. Yeah, and, when it was time for a kid to save to do. Yeah, that. exactly. It was time for a kid. He was also a child actor. He was a child actor. Yeah, yeah. and he's actually um, cameoed many times on. On the Big Bang Theory, he's, and he's a brilliant. He's a brilliant man and a wonderful human being. Yeah. So, so I went to school with a child actor too. Who's that? Uh, Fred Savage was in my what? Year Fred's Stanford. awesome. But I just want to point out that Fred does not have a PhD in science. But Danica McKellar, star Danica McKellar, does is a mathematician, and she's the only out of over a hundred female people, female actresses, but who is also a scientist to guest star on Big Bang Theory. Oh. So we need to fix that because one out of a hundred, not good enough. <laughs> well, more on the fusion of science and pop culture through the lens of television when Star Talk continues. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back to Star Talk. We are featuring my interview with actress Mayim Bialik. She is the neuroscientist on the hit TV series, The Big Bang Theory. And I asked her about the portrayal of women scientists. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it working? Let's check it out. 
But we did an episode where Bernadette poses for a sexy scientist um, photo shoot. And Amy has a very big problem. I remember that episode. And it's something that I'm asked about a lot because I do advocacy for STEM and young women. And I'm often asked, you know, what do you think about the, you know, the white starch shirt open with the black bra and the glasses down and the red lips? And, you know, and to me, I I don't knock women or scientists who want to do that. For me, that's not the way that I choose to portray women in science. You know, I don't think we need to take our clothes off, you know, to, to show that women in science can also take their clothes off. But I think, you know, part of the advocacy that I try and do is to put a a fresh face, you know, a positive face and a female face on these subjects. I think that a lot of also what's missing from trying to engage young women is not just the the sex factor or the attractiveness factor, which I do agree might be more important in, in this day and age than it might have been 10 or 20 or 50 years ago. But I think also that a lot of women don't know the kinds of careers that are available to them. And people picture themselves, or at least I did, I don't want to be alone in a lab for the rest of my life. I don't want to be in a nerdy lab coat and ugly glasses for the rest of my life. And that's what, when I was in elementary school and junior high, that's what I thought it was. But when I got older and I understood, oh, marine biology is actually being a scientist, working in the field, working with animals, working in the environment, you know, all those things are also science. If you like engineering and you want to do coding, knock yourself out, but there are many careers that involve a lot of creativity and a lot of being out and about, and that's, I think, what we need to try and communicate to girls as young as possible. So the Bernadette character that she refers to uh, is one of the other scientists on the show. This is the, the assembly of women that sort of accreted, that the show accreted over the years, having been male-dominated in its first few seasons. I'm, I'm just curious, Summer, were you able to resonate with those sentiments at all? Well, I think, I think the problem is that too often women in science are stereotyped at those extremes. Um, or women get stereotyped at those extremes. And so you have, like, the nerdy ones and then you have, like, the girly-girly ones. But there's an entire spectrum in between. You're missing the entire middle. And science is a human endeavor. People do science. And people come in all shapes, sizes, genders, races, identities. And so I think the important thing is to allow scientists to be portrayed as all those different things. One of the other characters, her name is Penny. She's an attractive woman who lives across the hall who is not a scientist. Well, when she heard that Bernadette was going to be in a magazine, Sexy Women in Science, I've got the quote from the show. Maybe if fashion magazines had female scientists in them, I would have become a theoretical physicist. And I I was struck by it. I'd never heard it quite put that way. And I'm wondering... Would the, is that sentence embraced or rejected as a means of possibly attracting women into science? Well, I think all avenues for attracting women into science should be taken. But you know so, there's certainly people who would object to that. Absolutely. But oh. there would be people that would object to the fact that there's also this um, part of the culture that says that you shouldn't dress sexy or you shouldn't care about fashion or you can't be both that and a scientist. And you can. And so I just feel like it needs to be communicated to girls that they can be anything they want and a scientist. So they can care about whatever they want and do science. So there's a way to analyze films and how women are portrayed. Do you know about the Bechdel test? Yes. Of films? Yes. It's fascinating. If 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 I can recite it accurately, it's if a film has at least two women in it who speak to one another about a subject that has nothing to do with a man... There's one more. It passes the Bechdel test. They have to be named. Named. So you can't just have two people at the start of a film. On, on a street corner. Okay. Exactly. And then Name go to your main story. Speaking to one another on a subject. 
that has nothing to do with men. Correct. It is astonishing how many films fail that test. Yeah, it's tragic. It's it like the Vegas film. When you start noticing it's like it, 40%. When you start noticing it, it's you start feeling sad. Like yeah. Because every movie, you're like, not this one, too. I know. Like, that so was great. my favorite movie. Yeah, come on. Yeah, because it turns out like, a lot of movies that do have a lot of women characters, but then they're not talking to each other. Right. They're only yeah. ever talking to men. So, so, Summer, you do science, and Mayim is both a scientist and an actress, plays one on TV. And then there's Taryn O'Neill. So she's an actress who's not a scientist, but she's on a mission to share science with women. And we have her standing by live on video call. I think we, do we have her on already? Is Taryn there? Taryn, hello! Hi! <laughs> so, so you're, you're a science fiction actor, writer, producer, so you're, you know explicitly, because you're in the business, how potent such roles can be as an influence on society. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that if you can show different characteristics of women on the space station, on a boat where there's, you know, um, where there are marine biologists, where they are at CERN, at the Large Hadron Collider, because they're particle physicists, where they don't have to be in the lab, they can be in the Amazon because they're um, an entomologist. I think the more narratives we can create around a female scientist, especially in media, will really encourage young girls to and, and boys, too, that science isn't in this little box. It's not in this ivory tower. It's everywhere because science is life. That's a, that's a Star Talk motto right there. <laughs> and how did, how did you get interested in, in science at all? You know, I, I produced a sci-fi web series, which inspired me to start writing my own sci-fi. Um, and I went down the rabbit hole. I wanted to make my fiction as theoret theoretically um, feasible as possible. And I basically come, came out this science convert where I fell in love with the laws of nature that govern our existence. And I want to know everything. I love to <laughs> fell in love with the laws of nature that govern our existence. That is the quote of the show. <laughs> Taryn, thanks for being on Star Talk. Oh, thank Excellent. you for having thank me. You. All right. Next on Star Talk, our man Chuck Nice hits the streets and he asks random passers by what they know about women in science. The Star Talk continues. Welcome back to Star Talk. For this show, we've been talking about how women in science are portrayed. And part of how we came to understand that is going to Chuck Nice, one of our men about town, talking to the man in the street. Let's check it out. That's right, Neil, here on the streets of New York City, talking to men and women about women in science. Come on, come on, come on. Name a famous female scientist from any point in history. Mary Curie. Okay, name two more. Oh, Jesus. Can anybody name a female scientist? Anybody? Female scientist, name one. Oh my God. Um, who's that lady who made the like? Mm -hmm. Marie Curie, very good. Female scientist, not at all. Blank, zippo, zilch. How can we get more girls into science? I think we just need to make it more accessible. Like right now, everyone just kind of assumes it's a boy's job. I think a lot of times girls are told that they have to 
abide by some kind of rule where they have to be girly and they have to be into fashion and things like that. Girls shouldn't feel boyish for wanting to play with a chemistry set when they're little. Or blow know? things up. Exactly. Right. It's totally female it's to blow things up. <laughs> exactly. Ask my wife. <laughs> well, you have to make him more attractive, I would say. Mm -hmm. Girls in science. <laughs> Women are often judged by their looks, even though it has nothing to do with their ability. Mm -hmm. So let's turn that around. Okay. Name the sexiest male scientist. I'll give you a hint. His name starts with Neil. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson? Oh, did you say Neil deGrasse Tyson? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. That's right. That's right. Yeah, he's pretty cool. Yeah. Is he sexy? For sure. Oh, yes. <laughs> say hi, Neil. Hi, Neil. So we learned two things. One, everyone knows Madame Curie and nothing else. Two, apparently, Neil, you are very sexy. <laughs> it was very, it was between you and Neil's boar. It was very close, <laughs> very close. So um, it, it, we're featuring my interview with Mayim Bialik and I, I asked her how much of her background as a scientist informed her portrayal of a scientist? That's a natural question to ask. If you're a really, really great actor, maybe you don't even need to have that background. But she has that background. So let's see where that took her. Check it out. I actually based my character on, I will not name her, a specific professor um, in my life. So there, there actually is um, a person with, with elements of Amy, but... Wait, wait, does that person know that you no. raised her capital? <laughs> no, I mean, she may watch it and say, oh, look, that's me. No, I don't think so. But because when I was asked to be on the show, or when I was asked to audition for the show, I was asked to, to do a, an impression of Jim Parsons. That's literally what they wanted. But there are aspects of, of you know, my meticulousness or, or, or female professors that I've had in particular. There's some male professor energy in her, too. You know, there are people, there are people that I've known in my life that, that do remind me of Amy. But all the other shows that I grew up with was about attractive people and who had sex with who on which week. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's literally, we, and I watch, I tuned in every week to see which attractive person's going to couple with that attractive person. And our show's about the people who watch those shows, yes. you know? Well, The Big Bang Theory, in its any premiere episode, garners 20 million views. Not views, few words. Right. Yeah, it's not, it's not a, uh, it's not a YouTube clip. It's like the show, yeah. when it premieres, was it Thursday night? 20 million viewers. It's huge. Like, that's, those, are, that, those audiences are not that big anymore. Like, it used to be very common in television. It's not anymore. That's an insane So number. to even get that in modern times. To get that, in, yeah, to get okay. that today is crazy. And so would you say that now more than ever, science is reaching the public, especially through comedic means? And you're, you're, you are a participant on that landscape. Yes, I would. Now more than ever, science is reaching people through comedic means, and I am a participant in that landscape. <laughs> oh, thank you. You did say it. Let the record show he, he would say that and did say that. Objection. <laughs> but the internet has really given people a community. Because when you're growing up in your town, I grew up in the South, there were like three other people in my school who were into the stuff that I was into. And that's what's so great about Comic-Con and, and, and having it be such a pervasive part of our culture is that these, are, these giant safe zones have spilled out. And now, when I was growing up, it used to be an insult to tell someone they were a nerd. And now the big insult is, you're a fake nerd. You're like, no, I'm not. I'm totally a nerd. So <laughs> Here's it, my badge. Yeah, yeah my seriously. Like that, now that's the insult. Okay, so we nerd. settle this now. Uh, a geek or nerd? I, I tend to be more geek-leaning. I always thought, you know, th th there's a lot of... I gotta say nerd, because that's the name of your freaking company. It is, okay. it is. So, so, 
I think, bias that I think ultimately, colloquially, we're saying the same thing. I think, you know, the word nerd, I think, has, is, is Susian in origin, and the word geek is a, is a German word, geck, which was like a circus freak that would bite the heads off snakes and chickens. And so some people say that geeks are more pop culture obsessed, and some people say that nerds are more actually like engineer types. I think we're ultimately saying, we're all saying the same thing. We, I don't think what... I don't think what people like makes them a nerd. I think it's the way we process information. I think a nerd will try to understand something more than any other living creature and then try to use that information against them. So, <laughs> and that's becoming entertainment for others who are not nerds. Absolutely. I would so much rather be punched by a jock than endure the psychological warfare of a nerd. <laughs> like, jocks online just tell me I suck and that's fine, but when a nerd doesn't like something I do, I get like a nine-page dissertation. <laughs> With footnotes and an annotated bibliography of why I suck, and I gotta go. Yeah, like I several do. Several automated Twitter several. Accounts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't want to piss off a nerd. That's that's the lesson of this segment. So coming up, we're gonna have some fun with science memes, and we're gonna find out that success takes work. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome back to Star Talk. Tonight we're talking about the geekiness and the success of the Big Bang Theory TV sitcom. And it shows that being a nerd, being a geek is cool, or can be cool. And I think you feed right into it. You, your show on Comedy Central at midnight, this is, this is like Geek Central. You'll show some image from the internet and get comedians to give a caption for right. it, or, or perhaps invent a new meme. Right. So I've noticed that as my visibility grew, I got memed a few times. You're 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 big. You're big in the memes in the meme verse. The meme verse, and not on purpose. I'm just. I don't know that I didn't have nothing to do with it. <laughs> what, why? What? So yeah. So I, I mean, I'm flattered. Uh, what what I like best about it is the the those memes were not even about me. They were using me as an excuse to celebrate science. So we're getting back to my interview with Mayim Bialik from The Big Bang Theory, and I asked her about her path to becoming a scientist. Let's check it out. 
the notion that if you're not good at something in, you know, um, from the get-go, that, that it's not for you is actually not true. And when I was in school, and I was born in 1975, so from the time that I was, you know, from 1980 on, and for those, those 10 and 15 years of school, that was what was assumed. Like, oh, you're not naturally good at math, better, better like English, you know? And I think now we're seeing such a shift in understanding that everybody learns differently. And most people may learn one way, but there's a percentage of people in, one in a classroom who may be terrific mathematicians and scientists, but they need to be taught it a different way. And I'm grateful that I had a one-on-one -on -one experience with a female role model, you know, when I was 15, who, who helped me see that there is a way for me to understand things. But when I got to college, I mean, I went to UCLA, it's a school of A students, you know, and they have to set a curve. And I was, I struggled a lot, I'm, I'd say, a good 75 to 80% of people in my classes, this came very naturally to. And I worked my butt off. I did not have a social life. I got mononucleosis because I studied all the time. I rested very little and I was pulling a C plus in organic chemistry and crying every night that I couldn't go to med school. <laughs> so Chris, you, you have many hats. Producer, actor, host, writer, all of this, and what are you best at that did not come natural to you? How about um, that? I mean, for me, every, everything, like my, my language was comedy when I was growing up, so anything that was presented in a comedic way, and you know, it really was portrayal in pop culture. When the movie Revenge of the Nerds came out, I wanted to be a Trilam. There was a movie called Real Genius, and it was the first time Val Kilmer played a character who was like a super cool, super genius. Oh, so he's a cool genius. Very cool genius. And so they, the whole movie was about basically using your mind in creative ways. And there's a big message in the movie about the sort of the, the, the nexus of, of science and philosophy. It's like it can't be all science or all philosophy, but both. And those, were, those had really big impacts on me and what I was interested in. I didn't get the philosophy part of that, but you were majoring in philosophy. I majored in philosophy, So therefore, yeah. there's a philosophy component. Yeah, and Dun Dungeons and Dragons was something that I played when I was growing up, because it's basically, it's the perfect crossroads of fantasy and math, of statistics and probability. So, so, so Summer, you do a lot of different things. You're, you freelance, right? You're the blogger. And did I understand this correctly? You're like the... You're, 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 whose show do you, you're like the astrophysicist. I'm the in-house astrophysicist for Rachel Maddow. For Rachel Maddow. Oh, that sounds That's awesome. why she stopped calling me. I was on her show like a bunch of times. Anymore. And then I said, wait, well, she doesn't text, she doesn't write, and you got the gig. Oh my gosh. So we all have succeeded in various ways, and not all of them come naturally out of what an educational system tries to do with you. Sure. And I, I've d I did a lot of research when I was trying to, uh, when I was in my early 30s, I, you know, I, I straightened out my life, I got sober, I quit drinking, I started focusing on, you know, constructive ways for uses of my time and my kind of obsessive brain. And I studied success and I studied time management and I studied self-improvement. And what I learned is that anyone that you see that you think, well, they've got it covered, they must have had a natural ability, you're really robbing them of how much work they put into making something look easy. I, someone said something to me once that has resonated with me forever. And it's a, it's a boxing metaphor of all things, but they said line, speed, beauty. You have to learn the line behind something, you get that down, then you can master speed, and then you can make that beautiful. But, you, but it takes so much work to get to that point. So I, I always tell people, like, don't ever be discouraged if you don't get something right away. You will get it if you stick to it. There's no secret to that. It's just stick to it. Awesome. You know, every day, incremental change, and over time, it becomes formidable. Summer. So there's a thing um, 
that is being talked about more and more, and I think it started in academia, but I think any profession experiences it, called imposter syndrome, which is basically the idea that everybody else knows exactly what they're doing except for you. Um, and so, so you that's think you're an imposter. In yeah, you think any, any second now, they're all going to find out that I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't yeah. belong here. They're going to kick me out. And it happens to people, at least for scientists, it happens to people at all levels. Like Everyone. Chairs of department. Can I tell you, we had Paul McCartney on our podcast. Paul McCartney on our podcast. And he said... What a deadbeat. Yes. <laughs> and he said he only just recently got over imposter syndrome. And that's Paul McCartney. Right. So no one... Therefore... Yeah. yeah. No, one, no one really knows any more than you do. Some people just focus a little more and apply and work and, yeah. you know, but, but ultimately you can achieve anything if you want to. Well, coming up on Star Talk, we'll answer your questions about scientists on TV when we return. Welcome back to Star Talk. We're talking about science as portrayed on television, and now it's time for the Cosmic Queries segment. And this is where I'm asked questions that we've summoned from our fan base on whatever topic is of the moment, and these are questions on the portrayal of science on television. So I'll try to answer them. If I can't, I got Summer's backup. You got, you got my back here? I'm gonna try. You're gonna try, all right. And Chris, I've not seen these questions. You have not seen these questions? By the way, you are always the, I always enjoy going to your Twitter feed after a movie with some science comes out to be like, all right, was this legit or not? <laughs> Neil's gonna set the record straight. All right. Here we go. Mm -hmm. Query one from Brian Lefkowitz in Staten Island, New York. A local guy. Local guy. Do scientists ever hit as many buttons in real life as they do in a movie? Ah, can I tell you, uh, every time I visit NASA Mission Control, I ask, where's the red button? I want to push it. Right. It's, it's just an urge. I don't know. But yeah, there are a lot of buttons. There, I mean, if you go to a telescope and you're in the control room of the telescope, there are multiple monitors uh, tracking every little aspect of what the telescope is doing, where it's pointing, what is the temperature of the doer that contain that's the, that's the insulated container that contains the chip that's doing the detecting. So all of this, there are buttons, there are screens, and so, yeah, it's kind of, it feels good. All right. Yes, you're pushing <laughs> as many buttons, not as many of them are red. All right. But, all right. This is from Jessica McLeod in Houston, Texas. Which actor would you want to portray you? Oh, I, I, it's, I, it's, it's got to be Denzel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, uh, no, it depends on, wait, wait, wait. It depends on if it's uh, Denzel, if it's like a drama. But if I get superhero powers, because it's a highly fictionalized version, uh, then, then it's got to be Will Smith, of course. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I met Will Smith for the first oh, time. Oh, you did? Yeah, just uh, at, the, at the U.S. premiere of Batman vs. Superman. He, made a, he, he showed up on the red carpet. That's and awesome. So, yeah, it was fun. We embraced, and it was, it was cool. Was he a fan of, did he know who you were? I think he does, because he had well, uh, done some films in New York, and his son, Jaden, who's not in school because he's an actor, right. um, he wanted to know if he'd come by and I'd teach him some physics. But, but the schedule... Some physics? <laughs> Yeah, just teach me a little physics. <laughs> the schedule didn't quite work out, but, but so we, we, know, we know each other. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. okay. From uh, Akal Gandhi in Chandler, Arizona, is there any studied correlation between the nerdiness of a scientist and level of social awkwardness, i.e. Sheldon Cooper? Ooh. Okay, if you go to any Comic-Con, everybody there is a nerd, and everybody knows how to socialize with one another. Sure. I think you have these problems come about when if the nerd tries to socialize with the hip people, 
And then there's the rejection factor that's there. And they're not saying the right thing at the right time. But among nerds, there is no wrong thing at the wrong time. Everything is good. Everything is worse because they know you're speaking your mind and your heart. That's, I also think that people who are attracted to what would be classically thought of as, you know, the nerdly arts and sciences <laughs> is uh, I think, I think you, you, you live more of an internal life because when young kids are popular, like right off the bat, cause they're like, I play sports and I'm attractive or whatever. And all the kids just bring them things. They don't develop that kind of internal introspection, introspective monologue that I think that nerds. So I think it's kind of, it contributes to both. I think nerds are naturally introspective because of the things that are interested in them. They're creative internally. They create worlds internally. That kind of creates a boundary between what some of the other kids are into. And then those other kids kind of ostracize. I got a better explanation. There are some professions that don't require you to be socialized at all, to be good at them. So, while it may also have socialized people, you can be successful even if you're not. Whereas there are other professions where you kind of have to be socialized at some fundamental level, otherwise you will never be received into their ranks. Yeah. And so, it's not so much that it attracts under-socialized people, it's that it does not reject them. Right. And then I also think some people who lead very internal lives when they're young just don't spend the time practicing socialization in, in those ways. Summer, where, would you, where are you on that? No, I was just going to say that um, uh, I think nerds can be hip. Um, and that I was also, the Val Kilmer character. Yeah. In, they are yeah, now. Exactly. In the real genius. Yeah. Now. No, but I mean, I, I think as a person can inherit, uh, inhabit the, both qualities. Yeah. And so also that um, I feel like I've heard of girls who are popular but really like the math and science but hide it. Because then they think that all their other popular friends are going to group them. So Comic-Con is all about not having to hide it. No, exactly. No I think that's the thing. No, we are what we are. Yeah. And, that, and that's where I feel like we need to put more role models out there that say to people like, yeah, you don't have to hide this stuff. This, yeah, exactly. this, makes, you, this makes you powerful. This, this is so empowering and it makes you so much more interesting. You I can, just you look can deprogram someone's computer if they can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can ruin their credit. Chris, you got a, a last question there for me? From Umberto Quiroga in Dallas, Texas. Dr. Tyson, would you rather have a celestial object named after you or a star on the Walk of Fame? Ooh. Well, there's the real stars that are in the universe. And then there's whatever we call one another if you become famous. Yeah. But as an astrophysicist, I am partial to the celestial phenomenon and celestial objects. And in fact, I do have a celestial object named after me. It's an asteroid called 13123 Tyson. Aw, that's awesome. And, and by the way, when it was announced that I would I'd, I'd get this honor, I was very honored. I'm deeply honored by it. I double checked to make sure it wasn't headed towards Earth. <laughs> you don't want to be that asteroid, right? I'm, exactly. <laughs> you don't want to be destroyer of worlds. That'd be amazing. And you don't want to be on the Walk of Fame no, either. No, I, 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 I walk that along. Uh, uh, it's dirty. The Hollywood Boulevard's no. dirty. Like no one's gonna pee on your asteroid. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> So up next, my buddy Bill Nye, the science guy, is going to explain how science and television can join forces to change the world. Next on StarTalk. from the Rose Center for Earth and Space. We're wrapping up my interview with Mayim Bialik, real-life actress and real-life neuroscientist on the Big Bang Theory. Check it out. 
my fan base is very unusual in that I have Big Bang Theory fans, but I also have people who are science people and people who are religious people or people who are interested in current events the way someone in the public eye, you know, would perceive them, women's issues, things like that. So it's kind of like we're, we're sort of exploring what is this fan base, you know? People who, people who are, are followers of the Big Bang Theory aren't necessarily interested in hearing my perspective on women's issues, but some of them may be, and this is yeah, sort of yeah. where we're trying to help this grow. And if I can encourage something that you've already done a bit of mm-hmm. is bring your scientifically literate perspective right. to social issues right. that people think can only be solved in the absence of science when often science informs the conversation. Well, and I think it's important to point out also, no matter what you do with your life, the training you get as a scientist, the way you see the world as a scientist, it literally is the prism with which you experience the rest of your life no matter what you do. And you don't have to be trained as a scientist in order to love science, but that kind of training and appreciation never leaves you. Summer, you, you must agree with that, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's a lens. It's a lens of, of nature. Yeah. You understand how things work. And what it does for me is that every time I encounter something new, I have all these questions, and I want to know more things about it. That's because you're still a kid, because scientists are just grown-up kids. Yeah. So, so Chris, you, you, were, you were a nerd your whole life, so that sh- surely shapes your worldview and your lenses, right? I mean, you agree? Yeah, I do. Um, I just think it's... It's always important to keep asking questions, but it's important to, to learn how to ask good questions. Oh, nice. So I think a lot of, a lot of people... And not all questions are equal in spite of what some people want to believe. Well, I think especially, especially with self-talk, like with self-dialogue, you know... Um, That's a thing? What does that mean? It is a thing. Well, I think, I think it's when, you know, when people who are having a difficult time go, why do I always fail at everything? Then your brain will give you an answer or go, well, because you're dumb. Oh, okay. But if you say, like, how can I learn from this experience? What can I do better? Who could I ask? If you're not afraid to ask good questions, your brain will give you those answers as well. I just remember being in school, particularly high school, and every next subject that I took, which was, would have been new to me the first time I took biology, first time I took chemistry, it was like, hey, is that how that works? Right. Is that what I saw? Is that? And so it was, it was so enlightening. It was as though there was a fog that was sitting in front of me, and with every new thing I learned, the fog would get thinner and thinner, and ultimately it would dissipate entirely, laying bare the operations of nature. Absolutely. So... <laughs> Ooh, what did I just say? Ooh. That was really... That's a new meme. Ooh. Let's hear what Bill Nye, the science guy, my buddy, in this latest installment of Nye Times in the City, what he has to say about inspiring future scientists through television. Check it out. Wow, it looks so real. Oh wait, it is real. For a second, I thought I was a scientist watching TV, but actually I'm a science educator on TV. I love science on TV. I grew up with Watch Mr. Wizard. Kids today have Bill Nye the Science Guy. It's it's the best. Seriously, what I love about science on television is we can take you places you wouldn't ordinarily go unless you have flame-retardant coveralls or deep-sea dive gear or a spacesuit, We can take you to a volcano or the bottom of the ocean or outer space just like that. We can even take you to a park in New York City built on a railroad from the 1930s elevated over city streets. (laughs) This is Highline Park. See, television is inclusive. Anybody can watch it and explore the world and the cosmos. And as I often say, Half of the humans are girls and women, so half of the scientists and engineers can be women. And then we'd have twice as many brains to solve problems, make discoveries, and build things. We could change the world. 
Science on television is more popular than ever. We have the Big Bang Theory and Star Talk. Come on, people, turn it up loud. <laughs> All right. Bill Nye. So let's try to land this plane. Chris, do you have any, any sort of parting reflections on just the, the role of getting people interested in the sciences? I think, uh, I think watching people be excited and interested in things is contagious. Make it empowering. Make people understand that you will make the shiny things, you know, for, for, for our culture. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, Summer? Uh, I think my parting thoughts are that anyone can be a scientist and that if you know anybody, especially young women um, and young people of color who want to be a scientist, ask them how you can help and support them in their endeavors and tell them that they can do anything they want. I'm feeling it. And you know what else I feel? The fact that as children, we all remember being curious about everything around us, turning over the rock, climbing a hill, digging through the soils, and really that is all a scientist does as an adult. And somehow, sometime between that time of our childhood and adulthood, that gets beaten out of us. Is it the educational system where they prioritize pouring information into your head rather than stimulating curiosity? I think it must be that. You know why? Because how many schools have you seen, been to schoolyards, even the own, your own schools that you attended, where at the end of the day, school's out. At the end of the, the spring semester, school's out, and everyone runs away from school as though it's something to escape, as though you were suffering under the burden of having to learn. And I think about this and I say, maybe school shouldn't be cramming information in your head. Maybe school should be stimulating a curiosity for why you would want to learn in the first place. And when that happens, no one will want to leave school. No one will want to go on summer vacation because school is where it's happening. School is where the action is. And I think that will affect everyone, and especially those who previously have been disenfranchised, thinking that academics and learning was something only for smart people, when in fact academics and learning is something for anybody who is curious. You've been watching Star Talk. On the National Geographic Network, I've been your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. As always, I bid you to keep looking up. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.